film and television podcast in which we talk about a theme which changes from episode to episode. My name's Edwin Davis, and joining me this week, through the miracle of satellite technology, it's Emily Benita. Hi Emily, how's it going? Well, I've recovered from whatever I had this week, Ed, so I am feeling very glad for my health and hoping that everyone else is doing all right as well. Mm, you and I were talking off uh, beforehand that you had a, a bit of a cold this week, nothing... To, you know, not the thing everyone's worried about. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you you and I um, were also saying how we've both been, you know, in kind of quarantine or, you know, self-quarantine over the last week or so, working from home, but certainly in my case. And I thought before we kind of get into the, the meat of this week's uh, topic, which will pretty much just be a, a, a news episode in which we discuss the ways in which the coronavirus pandemic has you know impacted the film and television industry which has kind of been bubbling under over the last couple of weeks and really seems to have, have come to a head this week that we would just kind of talk about how this has impacted our lives because you know that is something that I think a lot of people are are dealing with at the moment so so Emily how has you know moving away from uh, being out in public and generally trying to, uh, you know, do everything that you can to avoid uh, either coming into contact with coronavirus or to avoid spreading it been for you? I think what I've learned is that I am not as much of a shut-in as I thought I was. Mm. I used to Mm -hmm. think that I was like an utter homebody and just really old and boring and I never went out anymore. And realising how much I actually do Mm. or have done. (laughs) I have to shift gear now. Um, And just because I'm used to a lot of staying inside and having indoor activities, I was very much an indoor kid. It doesn't mean that that's good for me. Just because we can all cope, it doesn't mean that we're enjoying it and we don't have to. But I realise even just the idea of going to the cinema is I mean yeah like I, I miss it already I've just sort of gone a bit drifty and dreamy even thinking about being in the cinema because mm. it doesn't seem like a particularly sociable activity right like yeah. you, you go and sit in a dark box with strangers as these pictures and flicker up on, on the screen and sounds happen but it is like it's, it is complete magic how, mm. how you can be there and it feels like the present and it's not to say that I don't want to fetishise going to the cinema either because I do think there's a lot to, even if you don't have like a home cinema, you know, you don't have to have a whole room dedicated, I, I really love like, I really want to get, um projector um so i can like, mm. cast stuff up on my wall just to get some bigness in bigger the experience in the meantime but i think what's crucial i know i sounded a bit uh, facetious because that's how i deal with things and like oh i'm not as much of a shut-in as uh, i thought i was um but 
what we're realizing now is how so many cinemas just have a complete lack of access um, mm. and and how the majority of people whether they have um if it's a visual impairment hearing impairment physical impairment how so many people this has been their lives forever i think a lot of people with various disabilities like oh yes hello able-bodied people welcome to our world <laughs> like this is what um this is what it's like to have an underlying condition this is what happens when you can't have that independence and understand how for so many people life is just inherently riskier it doesn't have to be in bungee jumping or like <laughs> you know actually just being out in the world can be incredibly risky um so that's that's the thing that's really been on my mind is how much i actually did go out and how we are experiencing firsthand what so many people have had for years and did we do anything about it when people asked nicely no no we didn't but hopefully and not trying to be too silver lining about this because we're all allowed to be fucked off like <laughs> um but could there be something that comes out of this where we realize that it's better if there's more people a, a bigger shared experience and not just mm. because the economy is going to fucking need the dollar right yeah uh for me I, i've kind of had a similar thing where like i like you i kind of view myself as kind of a homebody someone who doesn't really go out that much but you know like in the last week of working from home pretty much 100 percent, and and only really going out if i you know to stretch my legs go and walk out and avoid people because i can usually do a, a nice sort of two three mile walk around my apartment complex and you know there's plenty of space to keep the six feet away from people um yeah the the sudden just like collapse in human interaction is really quite startling even if it's just you know going into the office in the morning saying hi to people asking them how their day's going like that just kind of like tiny banal kind of inter interaction that being gone does really sizably alter and shift just like the way that you know every day feels and even though like you know we all the people at work have been teleconferencing and we've been communicating via zoom a couple of times a day just to kind of like check in with people and ask how everything is going and constant communication on slack it still does feel like very different and strange and has a a degree of of isolation that uh you know i have not really ever thought about or encountered before so it does really feel as if even even someone who like me tends to you know go 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 to the movies or whatever or go out and kind of like shop and doesn't like necessarily kind of consider themselves to be someone who's really just kind of going out on the town all the time like it does really represent like a sudden sudden sharp shift uh and one of the one of the nice things about it i guess also is like you know people have been reaching out asking how how i am and you know i've been talking to people on skype just like catching up with friends who usually i would like you know see once or twice a year and kind of go out for drinks but it's been nice having that kind of interaction and making me think oh yeah i should probably do this like more often even if it's just dropping someone a text or a, a dm or something to say hey how's it going like i don't know 
it's it's one of those things where it really just put into sharp relief how much interaction you have on a daily basis, but also how much you could be doing uh, that wouldn't necessarily that wouldn't really be any kind of like demand on my time. Yeah. Like I could, there would be no nothing stopping me from like texting someone just to say, "Hey, how's it going?" But you like usually don't think of it because you're like wrapped up in all the other stuff that you're doing. Or at least I am. But, but also, um, also Ed, I think to to be the resident. Um, not to say that you're not as well, but the resident sort of uh, feminist in the in the virtual mm-hmm. room, you haven't been socialised to do that, and I think it's that's true. I think it's interesting for men and their friendships. On the whole, that's not really a thing that that men do or or encouraged mm. to do. Like I say, socialised on the whole, um, and it's only really been. Um, over the past, what maybe ten years of kind of so um, mental health awareness, and you know that suicide being the highest, you know the the most common cause of death for men is it between the ages of eighteen and forty five? Like yeah, that's horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it will be interesting now that you know the the that we are having to have different ways of getting in touch with each other and to socialize there's that it's it it astounds me how i can you know male friends of mine um who even even just living together it's like do you not ever talk about your feelings they're like no we just talk about video games and i'm like there's nothing Mm. wrong with that just maybe also check you're all okay there was a really beautiful moment um in as as the podcast is full of beautiful moments, but in the Joel Golby episode of Griefcast, mm-hmm. where he spoke to Carrie Ad Lloyd, I think it was after his mum's death, he went back to Sheffield and he came back to London and found that his male flatmate had cleaned his room for him and tidied it. Mm. And he said it was just such a beautiful, simple, thoughtful, pragmatic thing to do. And I thought about it and I thought, God, that is really beautiful. But like the number of times that my female friends or just not cis male friends, I hasten mm. to add, because when you are under threat, when you are um, maybe a maligned or oppressed community, like I see this in the queer community all the time, like they're, they're under threat from stigma and, and violence. And so mm. queer community families and look at, you know, I think a lot of people have been uh, in some ways helpful, in other ways not, comparing coronavirus to um, the AIDS epidemic. But looking at like how queer communities would support each other then, and also if no one has watched Pose, this is an excellent time to watch Pose if you want a recommendation. It's an absolutely beautiful series. But I would say don't be, don't be hard on yourself for not being socialised to do it. It's great that we're all sort of doing it now. Um, but we are all being confronted with, with, things we we haven't done before we're all in our infancy with this Mm. and i think technologically in some ways obviously you know like um the the ease of travel and particularly international travel is is one of the things that has really contributed to this like the ease with which people are able to just like hop around the world and spread the disease um at a speed that previously you know if, if you're talking about like the plague or the the, the the kinds of really bad 
epidemics of the past um yeah would be a slow motion thing that would take like months and years to unfold now it's like oh you know a couple of weeks great technologically as well i think we're all like we're so connected that it is possible to like arrange for you know group chats or for um kind of people phoning each other up on on skype or having group hangouts in fact like later today a bunch of my friends have all got a uh I've all got a uh, a Zoom call planned <laughs> where everyone's going to like hang out, have a beer and just kind of like chat and check in on how everyone and that sort of thing is 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 very nice. Uh, I think like that's one of the things about this happening at this time that maybe can alleviate some of that isolation is the ability to, you know, just reach out to people instantly, which, you know, wasn't really the case if you know, in 1918, if you had the, if you had the flu and were forced to isolate for months at a time. Yeah, I realised the thing about pandemics is that you can't be neutral about mm. them. And I know that we started talking about cinema habits and entertainment and then I was like, but you've not been socialised to <laughs> check it off people. And nothing wrong with getting deep I was just surprised at how quickly we did it um yeah (laughs) (laughs) and I think yeah it's that let me start again okay it's hard to know what to say that's all right we can keep Mm. that in we don't have to edit that way because I'm finding it hard to I think it's really important to have a vision for the future right because Mm -hmm. we can still use our imaginations which can in in the way that they're trying to keep us safe can imagine all sorts of horrible things we can also imagine something better or different Mm. um but i also don't want to speculate but i feel like speculating can be it can focus on something quite negative and i listen to um it's an insiders club uh which I, i thoroughly recommend joining um episode of the comedians comedian podcast uh, Mm. with Stuart goldsmith and his great pal pete dobbing i want to say and it's so interesting because they're not focusing on the emotional anxiety inducing impact of the coronavirus because i think we all know that's the case so it's quite refreshing to actually talk have that as a base but not actually uh not not discuss it explicitly what they're talking about is like right what 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 are the grounds for comedy now Mm. and it's incredibly interesting where they're kind of yes anding it right using their best of improv skills to like okay this is the world that we're in now it's let's just uh keep going with it and find the game um and the things that they were saying because comedy is inherently and obviously an audience based participate you know every audience in a comedy is more active and participates more than they realize um Mm. even though it may feel quite passive it's actually like particularly as someone who has done does the comedy um your audience is essential in a way that um it's not for other things but that's the thing about cinema and telly right like cinema is actually can happen out in the real world in in the way that it's consumed telly's always been inside inside the house um but it's 
how that stuff is going to get made <laughs> when because you still need people to all um be at the right place at the right time doing the right thing mm. touching each other <laughs> it's, although i'd be really interested to see a social distancing film like Lars von Trier is probably on it isn't he he's mm. he's like oh i was doing this anyway even before the virus because he's such a such a miserable hipster <laughs> yeah it's automatic camera <laughs> that's one of the one of the all-time great just complete total lies <laughs> made made a comedy and claimed that, that all the camera moves were automated by computer and it totally wasn't yeah. it was just a good way of getting attention um i i thought that it would be i joked the other day i say joked i i totally think this should happen that they should rush series 11 of Kirby enthusiasm into production and have it just be <laughs> set during the coronavirus and it's all on ipads because I do feel as if there is such great potential there for Larry completely destroying his life through making mistakes and social faux pas uh, via voice chat and via text and things like that, but not having the uh, means to leave his own house and to go and try and see people and correct it or, you know, make it worse for himself. I, I, at the very least, they should do, like, a special, which I think genuinely would be... He would be the right person and that show would be the right format in which to explore the comedic potential of social distancing and, and self-isolation. Larry would thrive. Like, I think we mm. all need to be more, be more LD at this point. No stop and chat. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, the MAGA hat episode from the most recent <laughs> series, which is, uh, I think, one of the best notes of this really quite patchy series. Um, mm. That keeps a safe sort of six, at least six foot radius from anyone in more mm -hmm. liberal Democrat voting states. I would like, my, my pitch for that is that they discovered the source of the coronavirus and it was George and uh, <laughs> his pen that was lent in the Seinfeld <laughs> cast reunion table read and then Larry can just die right <laughs> I think that's all he wants to do yes be more LD always it's it's fascinating how a character who's so obsessed with hygiene I mean basically what he's planning in Latte Larry's <laughs> is the most phenomenal bathroom setup that I think some engineers might be looking at quite seriously <laughs> going mm. forward for coronavirus I also um, amazed I was it was brought to my attention by my wonderful friend Lindsay um Alan Partridge's no hand touching the door yeah. um train toilet technique is like now a legitimate <laughs> PSA <laughs> yeah pioneer, pioneers both yeah. <laughs> yeah the uh one of the things that was going around a couple of days ago which really made me laugh was people through Twitter, just like replies coming up with uh, what an episode of Seinfeld about coronavirus would be like. And I can't remember all of the jokes, but the one that really stuck with me and really made me laugh was imagining Kramer just going, oh, I'm hunkering. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. And just reading it, imagining it in um, Michael Richards' is, is cadence. Before we get onto the, um, uh, the, the, the topic, uh, I thought in you talk about like you know men generally not being socialized to check up with each other i think there's a very good example of this which you again you and i talked about just a little bit off offline but uh, this is the most comedically uh silly example of this was that uh i sent a message to uh one of my best friends um someone i've i've known for 
20 years. I, I was a witness at his wedding three years ago. But like we haven't we haven't been in contact at all in the three years since that because neither of us have ever been great at reaching out and checking on each other even though we're still like great friends and every time we see each other like there's always like that sense of like ah yes you know we're, we're reunited How, how's it going and like there's still that great fondness for each other and yeah all these memories of you know having lived together and worked together at various jobs and all these sort of things so I sent him a message on uh, yesterday, just asking how he and his wife were, and he was like, "Oh yeah, we're fine. We just we just had a baby." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I probably should have. We should probably should have been in contact a little more often than you know, once every two and a half years or so. <laughs> it probably would have been nice to have been part of that journey and to kind of get that news. Like, it's still lovely to find out that you know, obviously." That you know he's he's a father now, and you know he and his wife are doing fine, and all these sort of things. But yeah, uh, yeah, probably, probably, I probably could stand to reach out to people a little more. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, I think it's it's fair to say, um, yes. Uh, so, like like I said earlier, we're kind of doing this this episode. We we want to talk about all of the things that have happened in the film and television industry well not all of them but you know obviously like some of the major points about what's happened in film and television over the last kind of couple of weeks as hollywood and and industries around the world have tried to come to terms with what the coronavirus pandemic means and kind of extrapolating from that where we think things are going to go over the course of the next year or so as you know it, as the pandemic eventually crests and ebbs you know wh where does that leave us so i guess in terms of well, it's probably best to go through it chronologically i think the first big things that that really started to happen was that films got delayed the you know kind of yeah. fairly high profile films most notably uh no time to die the james bond movie fast nine i just have to double check but yes fast nine uh the the most recent or the the, the forthcoming fast and furious movie which was due to come out in probably like a month and is now delayed until uh now delayed until next year sometime and that has you know accelerated in the the week since pretty much every movie that was due to come out between now and may has basically been completely cancelled its release or has been pushed back and kind of connected to that one of the things that we saw this week was that a lot of movies that either were about to come out or have been out in cinemas for a few weeks but have seen their profits understandably crater as people stop going to the cinema going straight to vod uh the the, the kind of the most significant ones being Trolls World Tour, which was the first of these big movies that was still set to have a theatrical release. Basically, Sony coming out and saying this is going to be available on VOD on the same day it comes out so that people don't have to run the risk of going to a cinema and potentially, you know, kids who are generally not, um, not obviously not in every case, but in pretty much all cases, not affected by the coronavirus. Uh, becoming transmitters for it and going out and spreading it because they all went to see Trolls World Tour and that that feel and since then there have been other ones like the new version of Emma that just came out is now on VOD The Invisible Man is on VOD Birds of Prey which was has been out for a few weeks is now available to stream online Onward the new Pixar movie has gone to VOD and will be on Disney Plus in like 
a week's time or something, and that barely came out two weeks ago. This, to me, feels like one of the most seismic shifts, not just because it's a thing that, you know, it is quite shocking to see a movie that is still in theatres going straight to VOD that's not like an indie movie that had a small release anyway. But it being a thing that I think has been talked about so much in recent years as a possible future of day and date just being a thing that happens for every movie. Like, it's really strange to see that it has suddenly taken effect so, like, sharply and, you know, without... um, it that, that, That it took something like this to make that shift happen. It would be, wouldn't it? I think... Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, and I may just be getting it completely, completely incorrect. But is it the pushback and things for the sake of having big premieres? It's partly that. I think also it's uh, also about like, you know, if you put Bond out now or in a week's time when it was uh, two weeks time when it would have come out initially, it would have like a very negligible box office result. Like you would expect a Bond movie to come out and earn like a hundred, hundred and fifty million dollars, especially if it's the um the final Bond movie and all the uh, the final Daniel Craig movie and all this sort of stuff. So it's that it is. Uh, I think initially those delays are all kind of. I I would say probably eighty twenty cold cynical calculation about how much money they'll own at the box office and the bragging rights of having you know huge opening weekend results and twenty percent this seems like it would be bad for people's health but i think i think the moves more recently to shift these movies to vod uh the probably the numbers have shifted have flipped you know it's 80 percent worries about people's health and 20 percent yeah this is a good way for us to recoup our money interesting i feel like another thing that's going to be interesting is I wonder whether territories will be a thing anymore because with Disney Plus, for example, that's not launched in the UK yet. I'm a bit like mm. I'm I'm not that interested in it, so I keep I keep ignoring anything anything that gives me any information about it, which is stupid because I should still know about it <laughs> to understand mm. the landscape. But at this point, I'm a little bit oh my my uh, <laughs> my quota of fucks to give has definitely. <laughs> for some reason <laughs> got a lot smaller recently so unfortunately mm. but as far as i'm aware um disney plus is not out yet and um there were requests like people like swathes of people online were like please you know just think of my children <laughs> Can I, <laughs> I i don't want to school them let disney show them the way and disney plus were like no we're not doing it like why I don't, I don't understand at all. I mean, fair enough if it's genuinely like not ready, but that didn't seem mm. to be why. And not to go too fully, maybe we should rethink the whole nation state borders thing anyway, lads. <laughs> but I think, like you said, it would only take something like a global pandemic for these kinds of things to happen. But I feel like we're reaching a point where and I've always, I've, this is this is the particular hill that I've been. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna use the D word, <laughs> but the hill, the hill I've been protecting, the hill fort that I will um, hold on to. Hold on to, thank you. To the last, right till the last. <laughs> um, that's a much classier way of saying Ed. I like that. The hill, the hill of which I hold on to the last is 
that if you spend so much money on marketing but not on distribution, of course your film's going to get pirated. Mm. <laughs> like, do not hype people up to see it and then, you know, diminish um, the chances of indies even getting a look-in for a theatrical window that's longer than a week. <laughs> mm. Like, that was something that I found really difficult with the nature of my work actually getting to the cinema and I and I wanted to go and see this film. I had the money to go and see this film, but I didn't have the time. And so I mm. really loved the, the the rise of you know video on demand. And it doesn't make me less likely to see a film in the cinema. It just makes me happy that I have a chance to see this film at all. And the way that we've seen, it's been really sad in terms of like various film libraries kind of shutting down. I hope that there's an appreciation for you will get my money, <laughs> cinema people let me have a chance to give you my money, make things available, put stuff up quicker. Like what, what happened, you know, simultaneous releases, like um, a field in England. I remember that. It was really fun mm. to go to the cinema knowing that I could have stayed at home and watched it, but there was something fun because I could, and because I wanted that experience and that if I couldn't go for whatever reason, it would then be available to me. And I think you should be able to, for you know to financially compensate and to and to for that money to go to actually all the hard-working freelancers who who make those films actually but that's the problem and I wonder if now because surely I mean it would be interesting to find the data I wonder what piracy rates are just now because mm. they must be horrific um yeah I can imagine and I think like Netflix and Amazon Prime solely looking at them from a budget point of view they're incredibly good value mm. for what you have access to but i wonder if there'll be a point where it will be made any cheaper mm. because we're about to see and i don't know enough about economics ed surprise surprise <laughs> i just like i like talking about a thing with my feelings that's that's <laughs> as much of an expert as I am, as I'm sure that everyone who's listened to the podcast has quickly figured out, but I'm saying it, I'm aware of it as well. But I think the film industry is under such attack right now, and and, and TV as well, um, more sort of like premium TV, I mean, rather than national broadcast, although that as well, <laughs> lol. Um, but everything's terrible. But for, the, but for the film industry to protect itself as much as it can, I don't think it can afford to be like, oh no, exclusive, look at my shiny jewels, you must, I don't know why it's a troll, it is a troll, <laughs> pass, pass my, uh, cross my farm with silver and then you'll get access, it's like, well, well yeah, but just be like, no, here you go, here it all is, because I wouldn't be surprised if some, probably, there will be a disgruntled freelancer who was probably working on No Time to Die who will have access to at least a version of it and I would not be surprised if it got leaked. Mm, yeah, it'd be very hard to keep right? keep a hand on it. Yeah. I think to, to kind of relate this, I think, to the broader like political response to the pandemic as well, like, one of the things that you find quite interesting is how quickly the old arguments very get, you know, kind of get swept away. Like you know the resistance to having vod for big movies because of you know you know theatrical windows and the kind of like the the difficulty of getting stuff out there it is much the same as the the constant question of well how will you pay for it for you know any big social 
advancement or improvement to people's lives, which instantly go out the door when people are like saying, oh, yeah, you can just make a trillion dollar coin and we'll be fine. Um, you know, that'll balance everything yeah. out. Um, like you suddenly realize, oh, this stuff is like very flimsy. There's always money for everything <laughs> because uh, numbers are just made up and you can pretty much pay uh, anything you want and, you know, you can increase the national debt, but it's not like China's going to take Pennsylvania. You know, it's not like they're going to kind of like kick the door in and take it away. And I feel like that's similar with the case of 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 the way in which companies are pretty much instantly being able, like Sony with with Trolls World Tour, which is like that was the first domino to fall because that was like a fairly high profile movie that they just said, yeah, anyone can can watch this. It will be available for rent. It'll be slightly more expensive to rent than it would under normal situations. I think they're saying that movies that are had you know are were planned to be in theaters or are in theater still are like twenty dollars to rent but you know that's less than the price of two film tickets or less than the price of one film ticket if you're seeing something in imax so it still works out pretty well if multiple people are paying to watch a movie yeah like the speed and the rapidity with which that response ended up being put into place i think points to the fact that a lot of those concerns or a lot of the the arguments against switching to that model were perhaps more about reticence to embrace a new idea or kind of people trying to hold on to this model that has you know for a hundred years been like fairly profitable but which in recent years has kind of suffered as ticket sales have declined and things like that Mm. and also in terms of you know the the distribution and theater side of things it has been it's been very striking seeing like seeing the data for just how much of an impact the you know the social distancing the closing of theaters has had because you know there are sites online that report box office on a day-to-day basis and there was one statistic about uh, onward the new pixar movie where it lost 98% of its revenue week to week because Ooh. it was it was literally it had gone from you know wednesday of one week earning a couple of hundred thousand dollars to the following one earning like thirty thousand dollars because people aren't going to theaters and theaters are you know understandably closing because they are the perfect you know sort of place for the coronavirus to spread of people being you know as wonderful as the theatrical experience is having lots of strangers kind of in close proximity to each other for multiple hours it's like it's really good uh kind of breeding ground for the virus to spread fairly rapidly amongst the people in there and then when those people like go out to all of their separate homes uh yeah it is like the perfect way for that to spread uh but yeah like that that statistic was the thing that really struck home to me just how much of an impact this is going to is having now and how much it's going to have in in the months ahead just seeing that sheer that sheer drop but also you know on the plus side seeing how quickly theater chains like amc have reacted to this sort of stuff of saying okay we're gonna shutter our doors and we're not going to be showing films because it's just uh not not great for public health to do that obviously could have done it sooner as you know a lot of the reaction in both the US and the UK I think you know could be described as not fast enough and not nearly strict enough but 
like the the speed with which these companies once they realized the way that things were going to actually impose that sort of stuff often in a way that the good the the government the governments themselves were not uh at the very least suggest that someone somewhere has an interest in public health something that i've noticed is the use of particularly in comedy um doing broadcasts using things like facebook live or also mm. having websites to host links that will only activate once you pay and then are given a code or a link um which also do with podcasts right there are a lot of pop- like that's how i have my like insiders club um comedians comedian podcast that's a different rss feed um mm. that i'm given after i give money um and i wonder if there's a kind of literally sort of like pay pay for access pay per view um and the to kind of to keep that sort of group feeling whether that would become like active at like eight o'clock like there'd be there would still be like screening slot times <laughs> and mm. a certain amount of people could be let in you know public health wise that's incredibly sanitary i dread to think of like what goes on in cinema carpets basically that that was something that put me off sometimes going to this, <laughs> going to certain multiplexes speaking of which cineworld what I mean, can I drop a C-bomb, Ed? Is that allowed? Go for it. What cunts? I mean, laying off your staff, but the staff that... Keeping on the staff that haven't been working there particularly long because then you don't have to pay them sick pay. That you're even open at all. It's astounding. I mean, mm. we all knew, like, oh, what what hot take is this, Emily? Big corporations are bad. But it's just the lengths that they'll go to, right? I think it's also interesting that Parasite is very fresh in the in the in the global consciousness right now. Um, yeah, you know that that is a kind of you know, Bong Joon Ho's right. We live in we all live in one country, and it's called capitalism. And our country, mm. you know, something is rotten in the state of capitalism right now. Has been for a long time. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> In terms of, you know, like, um, you know, doing stuff with performing shows via the internet and things like that, I, I thought it was interesting that either today or maybe yesterday, I'm not sure which, because of the way that, you know, news comes to you algorithmically now, it's sometimes be hard to tell if a post you're seeing is about a thing that is about to happen or a thing that has already happened, you're just seeing it late. Um, the Thrilling Adventure Hour, the, you know, live show featuring lots of great... Uh, LA comedians that's been going on for years and years they're doing a show that's going to be them performing live in their own houses you know that's going to be broadcast I think presumably I think for people who pay or maybe even for free because a lot of the stuff they've done over the years have been for free but like it's interesting seeing all of these different people who have built a presence online you know experimenting with these new forms that are maybe ways to following it another thing that I thought was really interesting was that um, BAM, they have closed their doors because, you know, New York has been particularly badly hit by the uh, coronavirus and, you know, that they're now taking all the steps they can to try and limit the spread. They have done a kind of partnership with a lot of other independent theatres around the country whereby people can pay a small fee to watch the Brazilian film Baccarat, which was just about to come out in the US and was going to have like a platform release and all of the theatres that were going to show it um, 
will get like a cut of the profits of people paying to rent it, which I think is a very interesting way of accounting for the fact that all of these independent cinemas are probably going to be shut for a fairly long time and many of them no doubt were probably in a fairly precarious situation financially anyway um providing an opportunity for them to get you know a little bit of cash to kind of pay for whatever lost revenue they would have had that is interesting and hopefully not to sound too necessity as the mother of invention and i'm not saying great that coronavirus has come along please don't please everyone understand this is not what i'm saying but that there are such brilliant people, engineers and economists who can hopefully come up with better, more compassionate models. And it's interesting because there's nothing mm. wrong with having like a business plan and a business model and strategy. And I wonder if now everyone is forced to do it <laughs> in some way, shape or form. You know, you can you can really sort the uh, wheat from the virtue signalers. You know, mm. you can't you can't just kind of I don't know what colour to pick for compassion, but you can't just wash it, you know. Yeah. And hopefully someone will realise you need people to make things work because if you don't have workers you have fuck all. Like just be a canny like if you're gonna be a capitalist, be canny about it. Like understand. Like oh don't be such a psychopath. Um sorry, I'm going down another <laughs> I'm going down another route, which is very um therapeutic for me, but venting is probably not I mean I vent on this all the time. It is a form of therapy, but probably not the most interesting interesting thing. For listeners, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, I what I'd quite like to not see is too much hastily made films and TVs that uh films and TVs, wow. That's that's a bad one. I do words good. Series and films that are just schlockily made reactionary. Oh, look at all these people like self-isolating. Look at this really deep like Zoom chat. The the, mm. the, the, the interesting thing is is that like everyone everyone now has the same capability and equipment pretty much on the whole again allowing for like economic um, discrepancy and a lot of people don't have the internet and that's horrific because it is a utility getting close to another event again anyway ed what sorry what i mean back on track is pretty much everyone has like a phone or a laptop and you can make a film <laughs> right mm. like all of this kind of like indie filmmaker chat that's been going on for oh 20 25 ish years of like hey just get a camera and, and shoot blah 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 we've reached a point of not only technology but like any anyone can make a film and that is quite exciting but i think mm. it, it basically all i'm trying to say is that people on twitter and tiktok have already responded <laughs> to to yeah. this crisis in gloriously funny creative important awareness raising ways and yeah. the industry is going to have to really fight like this is a great time to actually like develop with your relationships with writers and really work on some decent scripts because you're going to need it because a lot of people just won't be interested in a slew of like direct response not because they're avoiding it but because they've already seen it and also unfortunately mm. uh yes sadly most people have access to cameras uh and the ability to share things on the internet uh including a lot of out of work actors who really should think twice about art and solidarity when they are in there <laughs> multi-million pound dollar estates yes i am talking to you gal fucking hell mm -hmm. i was oh ed it made me so sad 
when Amy Adams and Maya Rudolph popped up on that because they're on the list now. It'll be <laughs> it'll be hard for me to eat Amy Adams, but I will thank her for arrival um, and try and make it as humane as possible. But yeah, they have to go. <laughs> they have to go. Yeah, the uh, yeah that that video. I mean, everyone had such gr- it was great material and fodder from it. Oh yeah. But it's hard not to look at that and think you could have donated a hundred thousand dollars each right, instead of right like you have that two seconds of your time you have that knocking about like when you when you start literally putting your money where your mouth is like gal we don't need to imagine <laughs> you can make this happen buy some fucking ventilators like oh, oh, oh i feel unleashed ed sorry i realize this is I really, uh, if I wasn't radicalised before, it's fucking different over now. <laughs> and of all the songs to sing as well, I just... oh, But yeah, there have been some beautiful parodies and responses to it. I think that's kind of the great, the first great meme of the, of the corona period. Is mm. uh, It reminded me of that really quite wonderful SNL sketch of the Pepsi Max ad off the back of uh, one of the Jenners. I can't remember. It was Kendall, wasn't it? It and was Kendall, yeah. Beck Bennett being the director. <laughs> it's, oh, do do treat yourselves and, and watch it, folks. Um, Just the one-sided phone conversation of <laughs> him explaining the premise and then being told that it's tone deaf. Um, <laughs> and it's all just on his reaction. It's wonderful, but that's exactly what I was thinking of when I when I saw that. So there are some people that I want to support in the film industry more than others. Surprise, surprise. Mm, definitely. Um, yeah, like you were saying about the, you know, people now having the, the capability to, you know, make a movie on your phone or whatever and edit it on your laptop or, or you know, iPad or whatever you have. I think it's also interesting that now I feel like everyone, not everyone, but, you know, like a sizable number of people now have the understanding of how to process that sort of filmmaking like yeah if you think of movies like unfriended which came out like must have been like seven years ago at this point that was like quite a while ago but like it was seen as somewhat uh radical to imagine like a whole movie taking place on a computer screen and then there was that movie searching with john cho which i think also had like a similar conceit but by that point, it's kind of, you know, it's a movie. It's not necessarily, you know, in kind of the disreputable um, genre of horror. And it's got kind of a bankable star in it. So it was like a very different kind of thing. It was kind of prestigious. Like, it definitely feels as if we've reached the point where if someone wanted to make a movie that took place entirely on a computer screen and wanted to kind of like craft a narrative using the tools they have available to <laughs> making a movie through screen share, essentially, that people now have an understanding of what, that kind of visual language is which i think is very interesting and it would be quite cool if we got a raft of movies in that style you know even if it's just you know independent movies people making them for pennies in their house like that there is i think there's great potential there for people to really innovate within that space mm. and you know all, all of the furloughed film students <laughs> have got yeah. plenty of opportunity now to to kind of experiment with that as a as a mode of filmmaking for sure and it's difficult to it's difficult to say outright like oh what a wonderful time we're going to be like productive and creative because you know, what 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 the fuck's going to happen to being paid but mm. you're entirely right Ed. i think what's interesting is that we could to try and be kind of like 
looking ahead in a positive way, we could be on the brink of an entirely new cinematic language. And I think that's, mm. and I think that's exciting. Because whenever there's been a shift in technology, effectively democratising and removing barriers of access to filmmaking, you get a new wave. And maybe that's it. Maybe we will have a new wave and we'll consume it differently. But it, but I think that could be really exciting. And I mean, that's what's happening with TikTok. Like, the wave of, like, young creators who have stuff to say and are able to share it globally. I mean, that's, that's exciting. Mm. Yeah, I'm seeing people... Like, like again, you know, evolving an under, a shared language through um, a, a new format, a new platform in TikTok is genuinely quite exciting. Obviously, you know, a lot of it's just kind of like people just having a laugh and you're know, trying to make uh, entertain each other. But you are really seeing a lot of people using it as a way of disseminating information, particularly mm. around you know hygiene and how to you know make sure that you're looking after yourself during the crisis yeah. and you know do what you can not to spread it and people using it to kind of um satirize various aspects of the 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 experience we're all going through it it really does feel as if that on top of the many other ways in which the internet has like drastically changed our lives and will continue to be so central to how we all experience this pandemic and how we all eventually look back on it it's it is like a really exciting thing to see happen whilst also happening you know at a time when everyone's just terrified of everything yeah it's the anticipation of not knowing that can be dread or it can be excitement right like and i'm oscillating Mm. between the two of them like on a cycle like every five minutes i think tiktok teens will save the world though i think Mm. i think we're all settled on that by this point and i think what you're saying about sharing that information about hygiene stuff is so important because that's actually more sense than what government <laughs> like particularly your your government and my government <laughs> are mm. saying and it was something i saw the other day that tiktok teens were sharing videos that you could save so that you could have them on like speed dial essentially if you were scared in your uber there were guys right. who were like doing so there would be commands on the screen for you to say something so that it sounded like you were having a conversation and they would say uh. something that would follow up coming next. But it's like, hey, I'll be there for you at your door waiting. And then it'll say like, say something about your friend Fred. And they'd be like, oh yeah, no, Fred, what's he like? You know, and I just think that kind of innovation and genuine humanity, <laughs> like that's that's philanthropy. Fuck, what Jeff Bezos and the billionaires, that is how we look after each other. And I wonder if, looking ahead to looking back on this and I wonder whether we will be watching films whether they're made by a more sort of um democratic grassroots community or film industry but I wonder if it will be like watching a film where it's like oh god they didn't have mobile phones (laughs) you know like it's like watching you've got mail and looking at how clunky the internet is but some things still hold about it but maybe we'll be like oh god remember remember you can tell when this was made because they're not all zooming each other the whole time and they're like not six foot apart like maybe maybe Mm -hmm. we'll just have like a very specific a very specific set of films i think we also need to be wary of like propaganda (laughs) basically because it's, it's not 
it's not a sort of two it's not a world war right but it's it's a globally affecting thing and we look at films about world war and films that were made within it and i think we have to be very careful because i think i think there is legitimate crossover in people's experience versus the information or lack of it that they're getting so i think yeah just be wary of propaganda i can't believe i'm saying this i'd maybe i'm talking <laughs> out of my ass maybe we all are maybe <laughs> me more so than normal <laughs> mm. <laughs> so i i guess we're kind of like t- touching on the question of the future um a fair bit here which seems like the the, the proper place to uh to finish it off what what do we think things look like in a say in a year's time the pandemic has crested and you know it's kind of fallen away and people are trying to return back to normal do do we think that you know there's a resurgence in theatrical attendance because people are so sick of being cooped up in their own houses or they they miss the communal experience do we think that there's such a kind of a wariness of people you know yeah, every everyone basically turns into Julianne Moore in safe. <laughs> yeah. Just like can't be in the world anymore. Like, what do you do you think? Because I know, like last week, I think you talked about an article in Variety, which kind of made made the argument for a resurgence of theatrical experiences, and people, I think, still do want that. You know, obviously, we we talked so much about people communicating with each other via Skype and Zoom and all these other uh, forms. So clearly, there is a just an innate desire for connection and community um but but do we think that the theatrical experience you know weathers this and comes back stronger do we think it kind of comes back in a reduced form what what, what do you think is is likely i think it's gonna be both i'm gonna be that shithead i think it will bloody look- centrist <laughs> <laughs> yes because i have been quoting absolute centrist claptrap this whole time <laughs> yes i am gonna be sort of in the middle where i think that it will be it may appear reduced but i think it's actually going to be spread out in different ways and the people who will come loyally to the cinema will i think there'll be a new demographic of cinema goers who you and i sort of included who have grown up with cinema and now that we've locked access to it I cannot wait to go back. I think it's probably going to be a very emotional experience, the first film we're all actually mm. able to watch again together in a screen. Um, yeah. So I think you'll get, like, everyone who was already going to the cinema will become, like, hardcore. I hope that that will also support viewing for different ways for people who aren't able to come to the cinema for whatever reason. Because a lot of cinemas have been working in terms of access, like subtitle screenings, um, audio description autism friendly screenings you know parent and baby screenings Mm. because i think it does actually provide a place to even though as i said earlier it doesn't appear particularly social or a sociable thing to do it really is and there's something about that community and also it it's it's the perfect investment because it's low risk but you get so much out of it because I am inherently a very lazy person, Ed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love going to the cinema because basically I, I move my vulnerable flesh bone sack into this dark room and I can be around other people and get the best feeling of being around other people without necessarily having to interact with them. 
<laughs> which is tip top. So I think we'll have that. Hopefully people behave better in the cinema as well. <laughs> I hope people actually mm. turn their phones off and appreciate what an important experience it is. Um, stop chit-chatting and eating anything too too noisy. So yeah, I think there will be a new kind of... Because for me, for example, now I'm not sure whether I would just wait to see a film on Netflix if they're... Because as I was talking earlier about simultaneous releases, I have been like, I'm not going to go watch Marriage Story in the cinema. I'll watch it at home because I've already paid for it on Netflix. But now I'm like, hmm. I mean, not Marriage Story. We all know how I feel about Marriage Story. Bad example. But I think I will seize the opportunity to go more as much as I can. Mm. And it's... I never regret spending the money, actually, thinking about it. Because it is getting more and more expensive. But I don't... It's it's an exaggeration to say, I want my money back. You know, oh... You've, you've paid for an experience and you will get an experience. <laughs> mm. I I think everyone's going to come out with way worse habits for being in the cinema. Everyone's going to be feral. Everyone's <laughs> going to be like uh, Bart's twin Hugo and they'll all shit with their pigeon rats and it'll just be absolute bedlam. Um, no, I, th- I think I, I also feel weirdly hopeful about people coming back and like realising how much they appreciate the theatrical experience and how much you really gain from it in a way that maybe not be apparent until it is forcibly taken away from you. But the, you know, my, my main concern is the question of like, how many screens will there be when it all ends? You know, will a lot of smaller theatres not reopen because they just couldn't weather the, 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 the strain of, being closed for so long that's my main concern is that you come out and it's like oh it's just amc now <laughs> or it's yeah. just odeon yes. it's just Cineworld. you know like the big ones are in the same way that that's a kind of a concern for all businesses really i suppose like will the only like grocery shops left be you know like the walmarts and the publixes and the whole foods that are big corporations that you know can kind of whether it will like loads of small businesses be driven out you know that that's kind yeah. of like the main concern about the, the question of businesses having to shut down but you know with with cinemas it, it does seem to be like people I, I assume you know this, that's my feeling on it anyway that people will come out of this and they'll think there is something special about going to a place sitting with strangers and experiencing something at the same time and in a way that is not really replicable in you know house regardless of how big a tv you have or how big a wall you have to project things on so we end this episode we end all our episodes with srs recommends in which we talk about a piece of culture that we've enjoyed and we think you the listeners will enjoy as well emily what have you got to recommend for the listeners this week a book recommend your bloody book it's called burnout written by emily and amelia nagoski um sorry if i'm mispronouncing your last name ladies i'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it so i'm saying it how i'm reading it i'm and i'm recommending this as a sort of psa public health um announcement it's a really important book about stress and how it affects women differently from men and that is women with um an x it's about how to look after yourself really well i don't want to say much more than that because it's such a beautifully written clear science-based accessible compassionate book and i think 
everyone will benefit from reading it because yes there is an interesting framework in that it is mainly talking to women but it's about human responses to um stresses and how we manage stress and I think maybe everyone's feeling a little bit that at the moment I found it very helpful and reassuring and it's very interesting the conclusions that it comes to in terms of the more you can look after yourself the better able rule the better yeah able and suited we are to looking after each other it's 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 all a lovely infinite feedback loop yeah I am gonna veer from being a ranting lefty to a hippie <laughs> edge that's just <laughs> I can't hide it any longer even though I'm technically hiding in my house please stop me Ed what's your recommendation <laughs> for this week I'm going to recommend a podcast which uh, I just had to look up because I keep getting the name wrong it is Stay F Homekins which oh, is I yay <laughs> a a podcast by uh, Janie Haddad Tompkins and Paul F Tompkins in which they talk about their experience of being kind of like isolated in their home together they are both very very funny people and they are just like it's always such a pleasure see hearing them interact with each other because they just seem like uh, an incredibly <laughs> wonderful couple who really kind of chime with each other well they just have they've only released one episode so far but it's them just kind of like talking about the experience of being isolated and talking about binge watching band of brothers and things like that and it's it's just very very kind of nice and it's a nice kind of it's a nice thing to listen to in this period of self-quarantine and self-isolation and it, it was one of those things where I listened to it kind of being reminded just how much we are all in this together that you know these the, their, their experience is not that different from mine even though their lives and their professions are so different to the ones that I live and yeah, I just think it's it's just really, really nice and really lovely to uh, to listen to. So that is Stay F Homekins, which you can find on I think most um, most podcast catchers, uh, or you can just like Google the name, which is pretty easy to find. There's not many that have that title, surprisingly, and you know get the RSS feed and add it to your your podcatcher of choice. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Spotify, all the usual places, raters, reviewers, and recommend us to your friends. It's the best way to help us grow our audience. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter, where we are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next time with something entirely different, but until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Look after yourselves and each other.